This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Joined in the studio by Ari Dumphy, who's a counsellor here in Melbourne who works with the gender diverse community. Welcome. Thanks, James. Let's start with the non-binary community and uh, their representation within the general Australian population. What are your comments on that? Yeah, I guess it's, um, I often get asked about this because it's one of the things that when people think about the trans community, they notice that there's a shift in the general uh, conceptions around what transgender is. And there is, has been an increasing um, awareness of non-binary people in Australia from, I would say, I guess when I came out as non-binary in 2012, most people had no clue what I was talking about outside of the queer community when I said that I was non-binary. And now... I experience, and I think a lot of my clients experience, that there is a general understanding of that that's a thing that exists, but they may not know exactly um, how to respond or be respectful, but definitely the intention is there. So that's an improvement. Having said that, I think in the medical um, field, the standards of care and those things, um, a lot of the definitions of transgender have moved to include non-binary people. So the wording is around around. Um, uh, identities that include not just um, genders that are constructed within the binary gender paradigm, but I think um, that those definitions uh, still have a long way to go in the, in the way that non-binary people are actually treated or um, included in terms of um, the pathways that are available to them or the expectations that they have. So considering all of that and yeah. how it's an emerging community, uh, how do non-binary people create visibility for themselves? Yeah, I think um, one of the biggest ways is just by constantly disclosing their gender or pronouns um, where they see Is that fit. exhausting? I think it can be very, very exhausting and definitely people make decisions about when it's worth doing that and when it's not worth doing that. Uh, and one of the things, um, I did some research last year um, into non-binary people's experiences of transition and one of the things that I think everyone in the focus group said was that, um, was that unfortunately people uh, had a learned anticipation of disregard or misgendering despite disclosing constantly that they were non-binary or that their pronouns were they, them or whatever. And so people would um, basically choose a binary gender that they felt the least uncomfortable with or that they found to be the least distressing when they were understood that way or seen that way and presented in those ways or even sometimes asked for those pronouns even though those weren't the ones that they want actually wanted and felt comfortable with. And so there is some like concession making I think that happens which is really um, pertinent to the whole concept of visibility. Like how are we going to know that non-binary people are there and include them if they're still, um, you know, making concessions or um, being invisible because they've learned that there is no space for them. And so in terms of trans visibility, it's really important to, I think, be proactively inclusive of non-binary people. How do you deal with that distress that comes up when people get your your non-binary attribute wrong? Yeah, how do I? Yeah, yeah. What comes up for you? Like it must be, it's exhausting. Yeah. But what else? Distressing, th- you said before. Yeah, I think it depends on the situation. I think one of the things I've noticed in my life and in with my clients as well is that depending on how my general mood state is going and how my mental health is going and what else is going on in my life, it can be more or less distressing. So sometimes it's really about just um, acknowledging in myself that that person just doesn't know um, or that they don't perhaps have a concept a concept of gender that is going to um, include me and 
Um, and other times I think particularly if I don't expect it to come from that person or if it's in a space that I would expect to be a safe space like the queer community or the trans community or um, it can be a little bit shocking or jarring. But one of the things that people often describe when they're being misgendered is a feeling of um, kind of feeling like sandpaper against um, your skin or um, not not um, or a bit like a punch in the face or a bit like it can have people describe quite violent imagery. And I think that speaks to how important it is to be seen and actually acknowledged. Um, but yeah, definitely I think um, it can put people at odds with their own selves and bodies when they're constantly being seen and um, understood in an inaccurate way. And so um, one of the things that I always think about and love is the quote, um, I think, from uh, Susan Bordeaux, is it, that um, we only know what's possible we only know what's been, what is that quote? We only know what's been um, uh, not permitted once it's permitted. That's not the exact quote, but basically we only know wh- how we've been trapped once there's space, there's space opened up in a way that we didn't even know was possible. Is there an emergence taking place for the binary, non-binary community, you know, from within the trans community. So is there kind of, I don't want to use the word a split, but do you find the non-binary community is emerging from the trans community? Like it's seen, it was seen as being one community, but now it's seen as um, a part of a community that's breaking away or it's, 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 it's different. Right. Yeah. 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 I think um, it's, it's got a lot to do with what our definition of trans is. And so if you think of trans as moving from one gender to the opposite gender, quote unquote, um, then other than that, and a lot of trans people think of the word transgender or trans in that way. And so then, of course, if you're non-binary, you might not identify with that word. Whereas trans actually just means across. And I think of that as meaning across social expectations of gender. And so non-binary is absolutely moving across social expectations of gender. Um, so a lot of a lot of the trans community like are non-binary and in fact um, there's a really wonderful report out in I think 2017 called Trans Pathways um, from it was produced in Perth but it's a nationwide uh, look into mental health of trans people under the age of 25 in Australia and 49% of them didn't identify with a binary gender so that's almost half of the trans population in Melbourne that are youth not identifying with a binary gender and so you can see that non-binary people are huge in the trans community and yet that's the only, that's only people that do identify with the word trans who are in that in that research and there's a whole lot of people who don't and I think the reasons that they don't um, have a lot to do with the way that um, trans is understood in the broader um, consciousness. Do you find that there's issues around non-binary people within the LGBTIQ community not being celebrated because they are just seen as part of the trans community they're not given a separate identity? Right, yeah, I think um, that's definitely something that can happen. And one of the things that um, I experienced and my research participants certainly reported on was feeling like they were celebrated when that perhaps their identity was totally accepted and celebrated and an identity being something kind of um, as a concept and perhaps even um, the queer community or the trans community taking up and adopting their pronouns correctly, but then actually celebrating them and complimenting them and telling them that they're doing such a great job when they presented in a gender that was more similar to a, a binary um, way of being trans, I guess. And so, for example, one person in the research talked about 
um, being a trans feminine person and feeling like when they wore a t-shirt and jeans, which are not necessarily at all gendered, women wear that all the time, um, they felt like people were questioning them on what they were doing, whether or not they were going backwards or... They're not trans Yeah, enough. they're not trans enough. They're not completely trans or they're like perhaps on that day um, back in the closet or something ridiculous when actually they're just maybe not wanting to be hyper femme all the time. Or just too tired to really, you know, be bothered Absolutely. putting that outfit on. Or maybe not feeling 100% safe to travel on public transport as in hyperfam all the time. Or, or maybe just the weather like everybody else has, <laughs> you know, weather issues with their clothing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so do you find that non-binary and trans people are judged to a higher standard around gender conformity because of that? Yes, absolutely. I think that they are. And I think there's a, there's a lot of pressure on trans people to be trans enough or to because their identities um, or experiences are often questioned there's a sense of having to be, okay, if you're going to be even a trans man, like in a binary sense, then you have to be the picture of a man according to hegemonic masculinity or you have to be the picture of a woman according to that the binary gender um, paradigm. And so there's this huge, huge expectation for trans men to be hyper-masculine and trans women to be hyper-feminine, but then being judged also for that. It's quite weird. It's quite a, quite a complex place to be. But then non-binary people having that same pressure, but then also wanting to set perhaps like a gender that isn't aligned with that. It's pretty, um, can be a minefield. And do you find that plays out within the trans and non-binary communities as well? I mean, in the gay community, we talk a lot about internalised homophobia and certainly we see a lot of it. Do you see a lot of internalised transphobia within within the community as well? Yeah, I think that's something that definitely exists, even though there's um, like really beautiful, I think, like resistances to that as well. And people kind of, I think, try very hard to embody their radical ways of viewing gender and to um, express themselves in whatever way feels the most authentic to them at that moment. But definitely we can't, we can't really separate ourselves from the ways that we've been socialised to um, understand certain ways of presenting and social roles. What's your view on the labelling of the community as the LGBTIQ community? I mean, that acronym's not been around a long time. Do you see it going somewhere else? Mm. Um, do you see the community breaking up more, for example, or do you just see it emerging and so it doesn't need to be a coalition anymore? What's your take on that? I think that it's, I think it's a really beautiful thing in some ways to have a catch-all LGBTIQA plus or, and have and have an understanding particularly that that's emerging, um, that's evolving and changes from place to place. But I think it's the when it annoys me is when people don't know necessarily exactly what they are talking about and they say LGBT, for example, but they're not actually including the T or they say mm. um, LGB and they're not including the B or they say LGBTI, but they're not even, they don't even know what the I stands for. And so there's, I think... It's, it's important to talk about what you're actually talking about. And sometimes I guess you just want to say, look, I'm just trans today or I'm yeah. just non-binary today or I'm just gay today or whatever, yeah. you know. And I think even the word trans, um, people get confused about whether or not it's transgender or trans and it's just up to the person, I guess. Like I prefer the word trans and I think a lot of non-binary people prefer the word trans because it's kind of in the same way that queer is open-ended and kind of um, nicely vague and then you're not kind of... Uh, pigeonholed into anything in particular and um, trans also has that same kind of that nice ambiguity that means that people don't have to feel like they are like trans in a particular way. 
Sunday is Trans Day of Visibility. Uh, what's the key message you would like to be conveyed this year? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. I think, um, I just, I guess I think that uh, own awareness around non-binary people and their rights and liberation um, for the general community, not just uh, positively impacts the trans community and non-binary people, of course, particularly, but actually that a lot of people that I've worked with who are cisgender or even straight with perhaps trans um, family members who are white, which is why that they're coming to see me, find that they have something to gain from thinking about gender in a different way and find that they have actually internalised gender in a way that has limited them even in their own lives. And so I guess that to me as a message is it's not actually just about this minority group of trans people, but actually what trans people have to offer the world, which is ginormous. It's huge. Ari, thank you so much for coming into 3CR today. Happy Trans Day of Visibility on Sunday. Uh, It's great to chat with you. Smith there, till victory. It's 20 to 5 on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Well, Sunday is Trans Day of Visibility. 3CR is doing a special broadcast at noon on Sally Goldner's show, Out of the Pan. They are broadcasting with Mama Elto from Hares and Hyenas here in Fitzroy in Melbourne. Sally is on the line. Good afternoon, Sally. Great to have you back on the show. It's good to be with you after... Seems like such a long gap. We've got to make sure it's not so long next time. So much has happened. You've got Mama Elto on Sunday on your show. What can we expect? Awesomeness. Of course. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't expect anything else from you. Well, no, no, not me. I actually, I'm going to be the easiest show I've ever done because I'm pretty much introducing and just looking after the radio side of things and handing over to Mum Alto and the awesome panellists. I think that's really important because this is about trans women of colour. So um, I'm just really handing it to them because that space is needed um, where we can perhaps find out more. Absolutely. What are some of the issues they might touch on for trans women of colour? Well, Jessica just touched on them. And I, I was reflecting on this as I listened, that I think there's an interesting thing now we, across LGBTI within one or one of, say, LGBTI, and obviously our focus today is trans, that one minute you can be you know, asking for assistance. You're the group in question asking for assistance. And the next minute, it, the role reverses and you become an ally. So I could be, you know, um, um, sort of the trans person saying, hey, to broader community, please, be, please increase your support for trans people. But then within the trans community, I need to be an ally for trans people of colour. So there's an interesting um, sort of, you know, you've got to move seamlessly between the two. And so I think there might be something I can't, I'm not going to, you know, um, obviously say that's what they're going to discuss. So we'll keep that as a surprise. But I think it's obviously, I might be expanding what Jessica just said. What are some of the issues? But also how can the broader trans community, rainbow community, broader community overall be better allies could be something too. Absolutely. Now, speaking of being better allies, of course, we are approaching a federal election campaign. What are some of the major issues for the trans non-binary communities that you'd like to see the major parties champion during the campaign? I think one that's been, that is way overdue is the um, huge out-of-pocket costs for trans-related surgeries and um, the out-of-pocket costs for hormones. I don't think any trans or gender-diverse person who needs hormones and or surgeries 
should be out of pocket if they can't afford them. I have heard, you know, people might say, but isn't the cost of a prescription for trans hormones if you're on a PBS type of card? I was only, say, $6 a pop. That's still $6. And I've heard of people, sadly, having to come off hormones, even though it's the path they would really need to go down. So that's a real problem. But So it's denying surgery, people their human rights, really, by denying them affordable healthcare treatment. Absolutely. Um, totally, totally inappropriate. And we've now got some... For cost of, we'll say, as people assigned male at birth, usually trans women who need to have lower surgery, we're getting it now to closer to an average out-of-pocket cost of around 16000 Australian dollars if you have the surgery in Australia. And that's still a big chunk. But, of course, then what about costs for trans men who want lower surgery and there's multiple surgeries or perhaps being a little more precise assigned female at birth because you then might need to consider top surgery as well as lower surgeries, other surgeries. So I think this is a big priority. Mental health still a huge issue and, of course, we're here in, you know, um, well, you know, in relatively inner, in inner Melbourne, which, you know, let's be fair, is a pretty good place to be. Yes, there's room for improvement always, but, you know, what about someone in Broome or Bundaberg or wherever else, um, but, um, you know, Mildura even? Um, you know, it's still pretty isolating, so regional and rural health um, particularly. And just continuing education of health professionals you know, for the, we'll call generalist treatments, you know, just where I go to the GP for the sprained ankle, I shouldn't have to educate them, I should just get the best treatment. So I think health is a big one, mental and physical health, inclusive services, affordable um, healthcare is probably a big one. Um, you know, perhaps there could be some updating of the passport regulations that came in in 2011, things have moved a little and they could be um, polished up a bit further, they're still good but um, anything that could help there would be good as well. And then, of course, there's issues that affect trans, but as well as the broader rainbow community, such as the dreaded religious exemptions, which I just think had their time. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of pressure on the ALP there to come up with the goods if they're um, elected to government. I mean, most activists that we speak to, Sally, don't they? They say, oh, the, the Liberal coalition, you know, they're gone on the issue. There's no point focusing on them. Um, that's, of course, based on the fact that they're going to lose the election, or not the fact, but the, the likelihood. But, I mean, you know, a lot can happen in a campaign. Well, strange, you know, stranger things have happened. Um, you know, things could turn around. Um, you know, um, you know, there's so many proverbial X factors or factor U's, call them what you will. And I think, you know, I don't think that anyone who wants not just LGBTIQ A+, but social justice movements can... You know, sit back a bit. We've got to make sure not only do we get a better government than what we've had for the last um, six years on social justice, but we've got to make sure we lock it in so we could preferably get two terms and really get rebuilt long term after you know the nastiness that we've had in the last six years. You're from Transgender Victoria. That's one of your hats. Will uh, that organisation or perhaps some other trans organisations uh, be offering critiques of the policies of the major parties and some of the minor ones during the campaign? Oh, look, definitely. But there was a really, there were a couple of good pieces of work that happened and were combined together in a way so we didn't reinvent wheels during the state election campaign, combining a whole range of orgs um, you know, across the LGBTI spectrum and you know, good service providers like Drummond Street Services and Queer Space, who you know, I know um, very strongly, of regulars on in your face, and so I think we could do the same on everything—the health, legal, you know, supporting LGBTIQ International, 
and you know, put together a booklet of some sort, which we did at the state um, level, and then do the usual survey of parties, compare the answers that has been going on for some time. And obviously we'd have to do that Australia-wide as well, to some extent, and get some key players together. But, um, you know, I think that would be a definite. And it's just a question of how, quick, how easily and quickly we do it. You mentioned state issues, of course, at Pride March. Daniel Andrews, Victoria's Premier, announced that the ALP intends to ban conversion therapy here in Victoria. To what extent are you concerned that opponents of gender diversity may use that debate to attack safe schools and to say that, you know, counselling around gender diversity uh, more broadly is a form of conversion therapy? Uh, Are you worried about that wedge and that division occurring? Oh, they will always try because it's what they do and makes them what they are, which I'd better not say exactly what that is. But I think I have a feel, I honestly believe, and I think <clears throat> this ties in with the trans visibility theme. Yes, 2016 and 17 were awful. Things levelled off somewhat. But I feel also now we're turning a corner. I don't think people will buy into their nonsense. They will try because they will, but I don't think people are buying it. And um, I think things have begun to move back in the right direction and people will just squash that and say, look, um, things have moved way beyond those sorts of debates. And, you know, we've got plenty of... I've seen a huge sense of resilience and spirit in trans and gender diverse and families come back over, say, the last six to eight months. And, yes, those far-right people will try, but I think they're going to... Um, they'd better, you know, I think they'd better be ready to be put back in their box. Yeah, the community does seem, you know, together uh, and very strong at the moment. And <clears> of course, as we've seen with Pauline Hanson's train wreck this week, you know, the far right is is you know is weak and is getting weaker. Even though you know they were given a very unfortunate platform in the mainstream media this week. Uh, but yes, I think the community and I think our leadership here in Victoria, insofar as the government's concerned, are on the right track. It will be interesting to see if. If uh, conversion therapy ends up getting bipartisan support, uh, Michael O'Brien, the Liberal leader, seems very quiet on the issue. Yeah, that's a concern. I, I mean, it's hard to know where the where the Liberals and Nationals are at at the moment on a few things because they, you know, I suppose, you know, to be fair, from their point of view, they obviously copped a walloping at the state election and they're regrouping. Where do they stand? Do they move back to the, the centre, the so-called smaller Liberal or not? And, yeah, the more support we could have um, cross-partisan for a ban on conversion therapy and other things that would need to go through Parliament, that's always good. But I think we've got a happier position this time with the upper house. It's looking like we've pretty much got 21 votes to do things we need to do. Um, so they're know, largely think, irrelevant, you think, on this issue in terms of they may, they may you know, go with some populism, some right-wing populism, but ultimately because of those upper house numbers, they're irrelevant? Could be. They might just have to realise this time that they are coming. They are the ones coming from behind the eight ball, and they might need to um, wake themselves up. So you know that they, they had their their time last time, but it's gone. I mean, we have you know, to just to get that um, for people who aren't sure what I mean. You know, out of forty in the Labor in the upper house, you need twenty one votes. There's eighteen Labor, one Green, Fiona Patton, and Andy Medic from the New Animal Justice Party, who is just incredible. And listeners to Freedom of Species on Sunday. Um, know what good work Animal Justice Party have been doing. And so the thing is, you know, we're in that position. We're starting, I think, from a fair base. And obviously, yes, there's, let's get as many of the might across benches as possible on side, the things we need to do. Um, but, um, yeah, it could be the Liberals are going to have to come and sit at the table and um, treat us with equality and respect. So let's 
I'm go for that. I'm an avid listener of your show on Sundays, Out of the Pan, every noon uh, on Sundays. Last week you were talking about how we need to do more for trans men. Um, can you elaborate a bit more on that? There's still, you know, in the broader community, a shortage of visibility. I, as people know, I do training in diversity education for transgender Victoria. And, you know, we try, you know, we get people thinking we name prominent trans women uh, over time. We'll say, you know, Carl Otter and someone today knew well a lot about Georgie Stone, who, of course, is now going to be starring in Neighbours. And that's great. And so you name a few other trans women and you go, OK, name some trans men. And someone will go, oh, yeah, Sonny and Shoes. Yes, Chaz Bono, great. And then we have a bit of a trick question. Name some more trans men. And there's overwhelmingly silence. Now, that's a real issue for me. And, yeah, we, of course, in rainbow communities know lots. You know, Eddie Ayres is a, um, a presenter on Radio National for classical music, um, Paige Phoenix, um, we, on, on we go. But, you know, I think that shows that there isn't that visibility. And, you know, it's not for me as a trans woman. Here's this moment where I flip from being talking and then being the ally. Um, obviously, that's something that, you know, trans men need to drive and we need to support. But it does mean there could be less awareness of issues. So... Or, you know, um, people with services, you know, what happens when they, you know, need a pap smear and, you know, roll up, roll up to a place that looks very, in inverted commas, feminine, are they going to be comfortable? So there's one. And so I think there's that lack of visibility that um, people perhaps may not be aware of, but, um, you know, there's obviously things that need to be done. And, of course, there's a great group for trans men in Melbourne, the Shed, formerly FTM Shed, for support and discussion. Awesome stuff. Now, of course, on uh, Invasion Day or otherwise known as Australia Day, you were given a great honour. You were uh, welcomed into the Order of Australia. Uh, how has that impacted on your life? And congratulations, by the way, but how has it impacted on your life and have those impacts surprised you? Um, it has impacted and overwhelmingly positively. Um, you know, it's, um, it's brought me closer to extended family than I've been in a long time and that's been um, fantastic on a personal level. It has created impact, and it means that the work that I do gets more impact and reach, and so it gives me a chance to get out there into the broader community. Um, and, you know, I, it's personally as well, I feel a sense of contentment. We've talked of, over the years of the many ups and downs that I've had and the things that go on in our community, but it feels like I'm more in the present moment. It's helped me settle my past, I feel, you know, overwhelmingly more hopeful about the future, but I'm more in the present moment. So it was just, it was a major shot in the arm. And, you know, so many nice things have happened in terms of connecting with people. I caught up with some people from childhood I hadn't met in 40 years and they turned out, you know, were always lovely and now we're back together again. So it's been huge and I think it will only, it's only going to be a benefit. And, um, yeah, I also would acknowledge that that was, I'll be upfront, that, I thought about maybe, oh, gosh, if I'm going to get this on January 26th, what does that do? But I felt in the end I can you know, maybe take the award and I hope I can be a better ally to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples with whatever that award does. So, Absolutely, because um, they're, they're a community that often struggles to have visibility within the LGBTIQ community and even in the trans community as well. Oh, definitely. And so, you know, look, if, it, if this means I'm in a position to open doors for the intersectionality, including Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander within trans and bi and rainbow communities, well, let's bang the damn doors down and, and do it together. And, um, you know, so I hope it can be, I can utilise in that way. And I'll, I'll say it now to all our listeners, if you think 
there is a way we could bang a door down together, get in touch with me at Transgender Victoria and we'll start chopping it down because, um, you know, I'm, I feel like after all I've been through, my life's now in a pretty settled position. So let's I'll take what the strength that I got. It was a huge boost. Well, my batteries are charging now. Maybe I can help someone charge their batteries more. So it was a really huge thing. And um, also, as I say, close to extended family and also um, my... Um, I'm quite open about this. My mum passed away last year and my dad and I are even closer than ever before after this. So, And actually the ceremony is next Wednesday and he's coming down from Queensland where he lives to be with be with me on the day and as well as some close friends. So very exciting. Now speaking of big days, of course you are broadcasting live from yes. Hares and Hyenas at noon this Sunday for Trans Day of Visibility. If people want to rock along, do you want people there in the audience? Like what's the, what's the, what's the get-go? Um, yes, there will be a, a live audience. Find out why this is a face for radio. But um, I think we're close to selling out. There may be a few tickets left. Keep an eye on perhaps on our Facebook page because people might post, oh, gosh, I can't make it, and you might be able to get one as well. But um, there's the live broadcast from noon to one with, um, with as I say, that Mama Alto driving most, most of the conversation and a fabulous panel of trans people of colour. Um, there's also a craft noon happening at Hairs um, for families and young people, and then there's, we'll call it an 18-plus-ish event um, um, in the evening. So it's, it's a huge day, and um, I've got to say, personally exciting, of course, because it's a joint, the outside broadcast is a, a joint production between Transgender Victoria and 3CR, so I'm feeling like all my hats are on and looking forward to it. So, yeah, everyone get on down there um, and, you know, check out the site tdov.org.au for lots of info as well. Awesome, Sally. Always great to chat. Let's not leave it so long next time. And best of luck on Sunday. I'll be listening. Um, yes, and yeah, happy. Um, you know, have, wishing everyone an awesome teed of. Um, yes, there can be challenges in our communities, but yes, I, I nickname month thirty first of March Trans Awesomeness Day. So let's have our day of awesomeness. Good stuff, Sally. Thanks heaps. Cheers. Cheers, James. You've been listening to a three CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station three CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.